everybody. It's Cocktits and Cocktails, and it is Fly Alyssa and Natalie Fly Girl Kelly. We are here today with an extra special guest. We have Jessica Cox, and we are so excited to hear your story. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Glad to be on and just to be a part of this conversation and, and wherever it will lead us. Yeah, I am so excited. When I found out that, you know, you could be a podcast guest of ours, I was just thrilled because I've read many articles about you and uh, know a little bit about you and some of the challenges you've faced. And I just think you have such a great story that people need to hear. Yes, I, you know, obviously being in it in my own life, I don't think of it in that kind of way. But when I hear these stories of many people who gain inspiration from hearing that I became the world's first armless pilot, um, always lightens up my day. And it really helps me give purpose and reason for really getting the word out there, getting the story out there. Because I think we all are human in the sense that we all have fears and we all have challenges. And while my challenges are pretty obvious, I don't have two arms. Most people have their arms, but I've learned to overcome those and still become a pilot. Then it helps give others encouragement that no matter what their challenges are, they could still fight to uh, persevere and, and overcome the challenges that they have in their life to, to pursue aviation or whatever it is that they hope to pursue. That's amazing. I honestly, from the, I, I believe I saw you were on a trip um, maybe last year sometime and you were doing kind of like a tour or something. And um, I, I kind of started taking notice of you and it's like, wow, if she can do this, like anybody, this is just amazing. And then come to find out um, we have a mutual friend. We have Phil Howell, which is a mutual friend. And yes. um, he, got his haircut last week. We were talking about it. And, you know, it sounds like your family really encouraged you from a very young age to just pursue anything that you set your mind out to do. I mean, where did aviation come from? How did, how did this begin? Or like, how did you think like, oh, I can fly an airplane? So I'd never been exposed to aviation my entire life. I'd never been in a small plane. I'd been on commercial flights but never in a small plane. And all of a sudden, one day I was speaking to a group shortly after I graduated from college. And this group was uh, a group that serves the community. And a gentleman came up to me and he said, how would you like to fly in an airplane? And I immediately wasn't as excited about the idea, but my dad was right beside me. And he said, she would love to. Um, I was always afraid of flying, meaning the moment you'd take um the moment you lose contact with the ground was terrifying to me. So I didn't, I wasn't as excited about it, but I found out more um, about this organization and they told me I needed to write a paper about aviation and disability. So I wrote about some aviators who um, also had disabilities. And once I was done with the paper, I had earned my flight and that was all set up. But just before that, I ended up getting invited to speak for an international group called the Flying Samaritans. And that group said, we're going to take you to Mexico for our international conference. And I thought, OK, well, I'll probably just hop in a car or because I'm being in Tucson, Arizona. It's not too far from Mexico or I'd get on a commercial flight. But they were going to take me in a small airplane. So it turned out that that was my first flight in the single engine airplane. Uh, as an international flight to Mexico. Were you in like a Cessna 172 or what were you It in? was a Cessna 172, yes. Yeah. Were you scared? 
You know, I was a little hesitant. I know I said my prayers before takeoff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but then the moment I, we were airborne, I was like, you know, we're airborne now. So it was like I could finally just take a breath. But leading up to that point, I was pretty scared and, and so not so sure about it. How old were you? You said you were just out of college. So you were like 19, 18 or no, the out of college. So probably like 20. 20. To yeah, I was 20, 21, I think, to okay. be exact. 21, okay. just senior year of college, just graduated, ready for yeah. the next chapter of my life. And this opportunity came about right at the right time. Because at that moment, after that first flight, I was like, I want to do whatever it takes to become a pilot. Wow. So yeah. what did you major in in college? So I had a totally non-aviation related uh, degree. I got a degree in psychology a wow. Bachelor of Science in Psychology, um, and it ended up working well as for my career as a speaker, um, yeah. you know, and obviously being in college taught me how to study because you have a lot of studying when you have to do the ground school, so right. I learned how to be a better better at studying and learning uh, than the books. Yeah, yeah. So what did your family say when you came back from this trip and you're like, oh, guess what? I want to be a pilot. <laughs> well, I not everyone was I, I should say not everyone was completely shocked because it was very much like me and my personality and and the things that I do I mean I'd previously earned a black belt in taekwondo I had done things that most people didn't do or just didn't really want to do so for some of my family they weren't very shocked for others they were like are you sure you really want to do this mm, so yeah. they they were hesitant for me but I think they know that once I get focused on something, I'm just like, I, I will do what it takes to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So once you decided that, you know, aviation was for you, you wanted to become a pilot. What were some of the things like, obviously, you know, being an armless pilot, there were some obstacles that you had to overcome. You know, how did you go about that? Did you find an instructor first? Or did you kind of do research of like what aircraft might be fitting or how did that transpire? They kind of happened together because it was a combination of what plane is going to work for me? Because being in that Cessna for those first couple hours of training, it was obvious it wasn't going to work because of the fact that there are rudder pedals, there's the yoke and the throttle and, and all those things that are going on during uh, vinyl are going to be really hard for me to do with two less limbs. So we, I was informed about a special airplane that was built in the 40s. And this airplane was called the Urkoop. And the Urkoop was special in the sense that people who uh, lost their legs or who were paralyzed on one side could independently fly this plane. And so we thought this is the next step, finding the Urkoop. And that's when I started to seek out different places that could potentially have this vintage airplane and it wasn't very easy at the beginning um, because it's kind of a rare find and then all of a sudden on the AOPA magazine front cover of I think it was March of 2008 sorry March of 2005 was literally sorry it was 2006 it was a it was a story about an Urkoop it was a cover story. And I was like, well, that's the plane. That's going to be the plane that I'm going to train in. And I call up the editor of AOPA. And within like a day or two, I was in touch with the owner of that airplane. 
And I said, wow. you know, I was wondering if I could potentially train in your Urkoop because of my situation. And I didn't tell him I didn't have arms in the beginning. I just told him a little bit more about <laughs> what I was doing. I graduated college. I had a black belt in Taekwondo. And I was telling him all this stuff. And then I said, oh, yeah, and I don't have arms. So he, at that moment, probably was shocked. But I don't know how he took it because he was it was on the phone, of course. But then he said, yeah, let's come on out. Let's train. And that's, as you know, that's, wow. that's really classic of the aviation community. It's so encouraging. And that's what I always want to reassure people out there who want to pursue it, that this is an amazing community of people that will help you. Yeah, so true. So was that located near you? I mean, did you go there and like had this condensed, like accelerated program with them or how did, how did that work? How long did it take you? It was across the country. Wow. So I was going <laughs> to have to travel to Florida from Arizona. Yeah. Um, and, but I was willing to do what it takes because I knew how rare this air coop or the air coop was. And so I made my way across the country to Glenn Davis's air coop for the first part of training in the air coop. And wow. he was CFI. He was a CFI, coincidentally, a CFI. And so he had the experience, you know, it wasn't just someone who had one, but he had that experience to start off my training. That's amazing. That's really cool. That is. I've heard a lot of good things about that airplane, actually. Did you fall in love with the airplane? I did. And I'm falling more in love with this little airplane now that I've owned one for two years mm -hmm. because of these little special things, the nuances that you don't even realize until you know the plane and how it functions and know that there was so much thought into the design of this airplane. Yeah. That's really cool. I actually, I think I saw the first air coupe. Um, there's one about 40 minutes locally from me. And I started talking to the guy because I was like, what is this? And he's like, doesn't have rudder pedals. And I was like, what? Like, I've never gotten to fly one, but I hear that there's a big event out by you guys every year that, it, was it in the spring? You guys have like a big air coupe fly-in kind of thing? We have um, multiple air coupe fly-ins. We okay. just had one last fall. It was in Arizona, so that was in Tucson, in my hometown. But if you find out, you can find out more about these this community. There's the Urkoop Owners Club. You can join that, uh, which we just joined, meaning my husband and I just joined that club. There is a whole community of, of mechanics who know the whole Urkoop, and that's on Facebook. Or you could join just the Facebook Owners Club as well on Facebook. So you can I'm, your, sorry, I'm sorry, the Urkoop owners organization, uh, they have a page as well. Okay. Do you guys have like your own, um, what do they call that? Like a cult following? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> it does have its own following. It's crazy. It's crazy how many, it's a wonderful community of supporters. Yeah. Now, does your husband fly? Because you mentioned uh, him and does he know how to fly? He actually just became a pilot in January of this year. Oh, so he is wow. a pilot. And what's cool. shocking about it is as a pilot and just a new pilot, he took the trek from Tucson, Arizona, all the way to Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and back 4,000 miles round trip 
with the help of one other person, but he did most of the flying. And he survived as literally a new pilot. (laughs) What a great experience. It was an adventure. We literally just ended it yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. It was one thing after another. It was. What did you fly into Oshkosh? I knew you were there, and I knew there was another girl there with you when I met you and yes. a dog. And I was like, yes. well, did they fly the Urkoop with the dog? Like, that's not possible. And so, like, all those things were going through my brain, but I didn't want to ask. <laughs> yeah, that other um, young woman who was with me, she's the other person who volunteered to help with the Urkoop because she's a CFI. She um, is the secretary of the Women Aviation International chapter of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So Lindsay Lakaitis, she was so generous of her time to help us get the plane. And it took us two weeks to the day of departure that we finally wow. made it into the state of Wisconsin. And then what, another two weeks back? So it took us a month and two days to take that Urkut because uh, challenges kept popping up along the yeah. way. Yeah. Well, you know, it's those challenges that that teach you, which, yes. you know, they're, sometimes they're frustrating and, and, you know, you don't anticipate them, but those are the things that you usually learn the most from. Yes, I have learned. You are so right. It's when you have the challenges or the issues with your plane, they're like, oh, so that's how that works. Mm-hmm. All right. Now it makes sense. It's like, oh, okay. Now I get it. it. Pilots, I feel like it teaches us patience. And, you know, just problem solving a lot of times. And so I think it's definitely made me like a thinker and like thinking ahead of the airplane. And yes, there's so much to it that you don't think until you're a pilot, like that you really have to figure out. And sometimes I'm in the airplane and I'm like, am I, am I good to fly this airplane right now? Like, is this for real? Like, something I do I need to be managing something or yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah well I think it also teaches you you can't control everything and right. things happen and you've got to learn to go with the flow and just accept it and you know um readjust and keep going that's true you just kind of move through it and uh you're right that whole control the control part that we all want to have right you kind of just have to be flexible and learn how to adapt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was reading a little bit about, you know, I, I didn't really think about it until I read this that, you know, it, it's probably really exhausting for you to fly the air coop just with the way you have to fly the airplane. And um, it talked a little bit about creating a airplane that was better suited for you. Is that something you want to talk yes. about a little bit? Sure. Uh, you are the first podcast to have that story. So uh, congratulations. <laughs> we are talking this after the fact of AirVenture 2021, where we launched this wonderful endeavor called Project 2025. And we are on a goal and on a mission to design an RV-10 so it can be flown with feet um, in the PIC seat, the left seat keeping the right seat the same, but modifying a kit airplane from uh, the ground up to make this work. Wow. That's so cool. That is really awesome. And I think that's something that like, you know, in, in aviation, like there aren't 
a lot of airplanes that are specific for disabilities and those types of things. And I think that might be kind of that starter of the aircraft that you can mold to fit your needs. And uh, it being experimental, yes. I think, is is huge. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for recognizing that because that's what the hope is, is to be able to open people's eyes to thinking bigger and thinking about how can we make planes more accommodating. And, and it's really yeah. a great conversation to have so we can be more inclusive and, and leave the opportunity, uh, leave the opportunity of aviation open for people with disabilities. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there a reason you picked the RV-10 out of everything? Like what, what was it about that that you? So the RV-10 is very versatile in the sense that we, uh, first of all, we had a tremendous amount of support from Vans. And um, I mean, Vans is what the number one uh, kit airplane oh. manufacturer. So they responded so tremendously, um, encouragingly to uh, our endeavor. And we sat down with all of them and we talked to them about this. And so that was very helpful to know that they were interested in helping us out. And we were, we are very grateful for that. Uh, we are still in the process of raising the funds because it's gonna cost about $300,000 to do this project, which is, you know, typical of aviation. Absolutely. And, and you know, airplanes can be very, very affordable but people also don't realize like the stole airplanes, you know, showing my dad, you know, my dad's like, what are those airplanes? Like $330,000. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, some of those airplanes are probably a million dollars just with all of the money they have in them, you know? So, I mean, they could be, but it's just kind of, you know, aviation is that way and making something specific, you know, for you, I think is, you know, going to be really awesome and you know then, you have a team that's going to help you with this uh building the airplane how's all that going to work um, this is all very new to us the rv10 build we do envision a team because mm -hmm. the more people we can get uh, inspired by this project i think it will be better received not mm -hmm. only globally but just i feel i feel it would be wonderful to involve other people with disabilities potentially involve young people who are inspired by aviation and even if that means maybe going to a build a plane program and, and having a part of the plane contributed mm -hmm. by a group like that of young people who are learning about aviation we're not sure yet because it's all kind of very new but we hope to make it a large uh, uh you know project by a big team so if fly girl wants to be a part of it in any capacity we would love yeah. that support uh, oh cool yeah i would definitely be interested in that Heck, I just love to be a fly on the wall and get to see everybody interacting yeah. and building and I'm fascinated by all of it. Yeah. Well, Vans, have they been, um, you mentioned that they have, have you know, they're going to, it's going to be a Vans RV-10 and was it their idea to to use this plane or did you choose them and, and then reach out to them to see, okay, this is something we want to do. Do you think you can help? So we discussed what airplane and we did some research and that's what brought us to the conclusion about RV-10. And that's when we went to them and they were so incredibly supportive. So it, it kind of affirmed that we wanted to really work with them on this. So it yeah. did come from a starting place of, of Patrick and I discussing it and other other people who are big fans of, of the RV 
encouraging that as well. Is Patrick uh, really good at building things? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Given that for that. He's in the room, so we can't say yeah, no. <laughs> He is in the room, and he is luckily good at building things. That's the yeah. appropriate question because um, it's going to take a lot of hours. I mean, for those who are not familiar with kits, it takes 2,000 hours to build a standard kit. And if you think about it, in addition to custom controls, it's going to be an endeavor. And I yeah. think that I think somebody had told me one time that you know if it says that it's a a two thousand hour build, you can pretty much double that. Because if you really think about it, like think of you and your husband trying to build a furniture piece for your house, and it, what you think is going to take an hour ends up taking four hours and an argument later, you know, yeah. of how it really goes together and you know, pulling out the documents every time. And, you know, I, I hear that Vans is actually a really easy build as far as, you know, the construction and how they've laid everything out um, as opposed to other companies. But I just think it, it's gotta be so time consuming. I mean, if you put yourself on the clock, the minute you walk in the, shop every single time it's going to take way more than 2000 hours you know that's true i yeah i never thought of it like that but you know that yeah. is very true yeah you just got to enjoy the journey right and uh, yeah all the people it sounds like it's going to bring together what is your hope after okay so let's say the airplane is built um, do you have plans for what you want to use the airplane for? Is it for personal travel? Is it to go out and share your story? What what we primarily use this new cool airplane for? Well, that is definitely the big why question because, I mean, obviously with this type of project and how big of a project it's going to be, like Alyssa was saying, is that, you know, what is it that's going to get us out? and moving every single month towards you know working our way through this build and and making it a possibility well we are focused in on what it's going to allow us to do and that is to continue to share the message that disability doesn't mean inability you know this is a major undertaking and it's always in understand why it's going to um it's going to help us uh, move forward and continue on a project that's going to take a couple years and we're really focused in on how this can reach so many more people with disabilities. And take, for example, it took us a month to get from Tucson to Wisconsin and back. And on the way, we stopped at a camp for children with disabilities. These were children who were born without limbs. And uh, they came to get, they come together every summer for sports. And we mm -hmm. stopped in and we landed at a close by airport and we invited them to the airport. And for many of them, it was the first uh -huh. time they've ever seen a plane. That's and so yes, and so these kids, they're, they were wide eyed and excited and I invited them to even sit in the plane. Yeah. Uh, and so I really seat. thought that that would be a possibility for them and you're showing them and introducing yes. them to this whole new idea of what they can do. Yeah. And can you imagine, I mean, these kids are probably told countlessly yeah. Um, they, they can't do it. You don't have a leg. You can't do this. Or, you know, you're missing a hand and, and all this negative stuff. And then finally you have someone just show them that mm -hmm. the sky is the limit or the sky is not the limit. And to do that, 
very, I think that's what we want to continue to do. And with the airplane, it's going to be more feasible to do that because it can get places faster. I mean, RV 10 cruises at 200 miles per hour. And Mm. we can do a lot more of that versus taking an entire month out of our life to visit essentially two camps for people with disabilities and then have all the challenges Mm. of a vintage airplane along the way. Right. And cruising at 90 miles per hour. So we're going to be able to reach more kids, more people with disabilities. Yeah. Super cool. Because honestly, like you can, you can go and I believe that you're a motivational speaker and you're going out in the world and speaking, but to be able to fly an airplane in and have them come to the airport and physically see that you indeed flew in on this airplane and you did it. Like, how amazing is that to be able to show them? Because for so many, like, you you know, you can tell kids a million times they can do anything they want, but to show them what you've overcome and that they're no different is just, I think that's going to be awesome for you guys. I cannot wait to see what you do with the plane. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We're excited. I do think, I mean, even for, you know, just, um, Anyone, when you say, hey, I fly, then I, I feel like they, you know, when I take people flying, it's they're always surprised by how many airports there are. And yeah. it's like this whole new, it's like when you actually see what we fly, you know, they probably envision like a jet in this like really glamorous, um, posh, you know, and they're airplane and they're usually like from the 1960s and they're very yeah and then they see our banged up doors and yeah it's like this is what I flew to get here you know and they're like oh okay well that doesn't seem like that quite you know it's just a very basic airplane you're like oh it just has like yeah it seems very real yeah 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 so what do you do Jessica um, what is your main um, career right now? Do you you go around, you do motivational talks. Is that your main job? Yes. Yeah, so my main career is speaking and the profession of speaking. That's where I am right now. I'm yeah. about ready to do a speech tomorrow for a big conference here in Phoenix, Arizona. And yeah. that's why I'm in this hotel. Uh, so Patrick and I, my husband and I travel as a team all over the country, all over the world, 27 countries thus far, to do this work of speaking. Yeah. And the aviation has sparked so much interest globally that that's why it's becoming this amazing tool for us, using the inspiration of aviation, using um, the stories of aviation and, and what people perceive as, you know, the impossible when it comes to yeah. flying a plane without arms and using that to propel this career forward. And yeah. it has, it has now for 15 years. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. It hasn't been 15. I, I've only been a pilot since 2008. So we're going on, you know, not quite 15 years, yeah. but yeah, I've been speaking for 15 years. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? I always love to hear people's journeys. Cause I'm sure, you know, 16 years ago, you really had no idea or whatever how this was all going to pan out, what you were going to be doing. Like you probably would have never guessed you're going to be doing what you're doing right now, you know, when you got your psychology degree and, and how that's kind of helped you, that helped you be who you are today. 
and be able to go go around and do all these talks and and understand you know people's psyches and what they're thinking about this whole uh, process of becoming a pilot if you have some kind of disability I mean it just made you like the perfect person to do this it's been wonderful how it all kind of comes together and it's especially wonderful when the perception of disability like say abroad in other countries is so uh, negative and how we can use it as a positive yeah is it very different outside of the united states how people oh it's very different for one aviation aviation and flying is not accessible in other countries around the world tiny little nippet you know it's like yeah when when I meet people in other countries that fly, they know every single person in the country that flies. You know, we think that aviation is so small in the United States, but you go there and they every pilot knows everybody because it's so small. And it was just so crazy to me that they think we have this like luxurious like world of flying. We do, but I never thought of it as that until I experienced you know, another country. So, yes, but a sure. lot of countries are using that accessibility, like airplanes, you know, go to villages to bring medical supplies. And so if we can make that accessible to more places, I think that's, you know, really going to be awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah. What would you like to see beyond, let's say 10 years from now? What, what are you thinking you're you're going to be doing how what do you hope well 10 years from now that's kind of hard to think about because wow but i mean if i look back 10 years and think about how aviation has taken us around the world it's pretty phenomenal yeah um so going forward 10 years i think i'm going to hope to do continue to do the same thing because um the reality is for people with disabilities are unfortunate around the world. And I think that if we can continue to do this, there's really no telling what what we can do in it in another 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you hear a lot of great uh, personal stories and people reach out to you about what an impact you've made on their lives and, and given them these these dreams that they probably didn't really think was possible. Yeah, it's wonderful because it's been now, you know, some time. So I've been able to actually hear back from people who may have initially heard my story, you know, 10 years ago. Um, And so I'm like, wow, really? That helped you become a helicopter pilot or that helped you overcome that even though you were maybe hesitant? It's so rewarding to get those stories uh, sprinkled into my air venture experience every summer. Yeah, yeah. How do people typically find like uh, someone without limbs or disability, find an instructor? Is it really hard to find someone that is able and capable of, of training? I think um, access to instructors are not as difficult. Um, I mean, I just got an email this afternoon from a gentleman who is uh, legally blind and he didn't get the most encouraging information when he wanted to pursue flying. He mm-hmm. wanted to become literally the first legally blind pilot. He has some he has some vision. So he's not like, you know, he has some peripheral vision. Yeah. So um, but anyway, he he wasn't as encouraged. So I think access to instructors is not so much an issue. 
But shifting the way that we see instruction is, I think, would be wonderful to be able to um, think of, you know, learning in different ways and, and being open to thinking outside the box. Absolutely. I think um, I had heard a story of a deaf pilot. Um, my aunt was deaf, so I was in that community. There's a huge community where we are. And it's kind of made me think like I never really had considered getting my flight instructor's license um, just because I'm like, oh, I don't know that I'd use it. It stresses me out. Like, I don't know. But but then I hear these stories of people with disabilities or, you know, that are deaf or, you know, maybe legally blind. And like if they just had somebody that was willing to work with them or understand their disability to be able to help them. I think mm-hmm. it would just change that whole mindset of, you know, you, you can't do this because you're deaf or you can't do this because of this, you know, and and I think changing that mindset in, in our instructors or in the community is all it's going to take. So. I love it. That's that's exactly right. It's sometimes this being open to seeing things from a different perspective. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, what do you, so people are listening or watching and they really want to get involved. What, how, how can they find out what they could do? For anyone who is watching, wants to get involved with uh, Project 2025, you can go to jessicacox.com slash Project 2025 and find out more about this and how you could help. We need a lot of financial support. We need ideas right now for how we can make these custom controls. So we're um, obviously starting to pull together a team. So if we want people like, you know, and groups and, and organizations like Fly Girl to be involved, we would love to obviously put that all on the airplane eventually when it's finished, mm-hmm. put a nice uh, logo on. And um, so please do um, continue to follow us on our social media channels which on Facebook is JCMS official. So it's JCMS, like Jessica Cox Motivational Services official. And mm-hmm. we have Instagram as well. It's right footed, but mostly it's jessicacox.com slash project 2025. Okay. That's awesome. I look forward to seeing everything that's going on and hearing yeah. news. And I will definitely get all of those links up for everybody. And yeah hope that we can help you out in whatever way possible because I cannot wait to see this aircraft. Yeah. Thank you. And and you're um, a very motivating, inspiring person. And I wish you all the best. I know Alyssa does as well. And anything we can do to help and share your message or or anything, then um, please let us know. And um, I know it's going to happen and it's going to be amazing. And hopefully I'll get to meet you maybe at AirVenture next year or a year after or sometime. Great. Yes. Let's meet sometime. Yeah. I'll see you around. See you both around the aviation community. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us. And it was great to meet you, meet you, I guess, on Skype. (laughs) (laughs) Have a wonderful evening. And thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of Cockpits and Cocktails. Please make sure that you support Jessica and visit her website and see all the things that you can do and be a part of this really cool adventure and project that she's got going on. Thank you. And cheers. You cheers.